Hi, I'm Dan Jones. And I'm Mia Lee, and we are the editors of Modern Love at The New York Times and co-hosts of the Modern Love podcast. We read love stories for a living. And by love stories, we mean essays written by real people about all forms of human connection. We're talking about everything from first dates to funerals, from sibling rivalries to new love at 85. On our show, we're going to bring those stories to life. We'll hear from the writers and also from the people who are written about. Relationships are the most important things in our lives. And the people that tell us their stories are just so brave, like way braver than I think I am most of the time. Yeah. They're so honest and so vulnerable. And listening to the stories, I feel like you absorb so much wisdom and you get a sense that you're not alone. You can follow Modern Love wherever you get your podcasts so you'll never miss an episode. We hope you'll join us. New episodes are out every Wednesday. From the New York Times, I'm Michael Barbaro. This is The Daily. Today. One day out from the special election in Alabama, the question is, will voters there find it harder to support Roy Moore or a Democrat? And the newly emboldened conservative provocateur, James O'Keefe. It's Monday, December 11th. Thank you for calling the Elizabeth Hotel. My name is Liz. How may I assist you? Hey, I'm trying to reach a guest named Jonathan Martin. And may I ask your name? Michael. Give me one second, please. Jonathan Martin is covering the election from Birmingham. Snow on the ground down here, actually. Really? There is here, too. Well, a little bit. It's kind of mush. Right. Okay, so I'm going to jump in. Ready? Jonathan, it's the final weekend going into what I think we can say safely is the most unique special election that you or I have ever seen, this race in Alabama. What happens over the weekend? Well, the most striking development, Michael, over the weekend was Senator Richard Shelby, who is perhaps the most prominent Republican in the state. He's been in elected office for over 45 years. Hmm went on a Sunday talk show, which he does not do very often. He's now 83 years old. He's not a fixture on the television networks. But he went on a Sunday show on CNN and being a canny political veteran, he knew exactly the question that was going to be asked. Let's get right to Alabama's senior Republican Senator Richard Shelby, who joins us now from Tuscaloosa. Senator, thank you so much for joining us. We appreciate it. Got the question about Roy Moore. Mm -hmm. When it comes down to it on Tuesday, who would you rather see win? And he basically took a hatchet out and went after Roy Moore hard. I uh, couldn't vote for Roy Moore. I didn't vote for Roy Moore, but I wrote in a distinguished Republican name. And He already filled out an absentee ballot with somebody else who he wouldn't reveal. So we knew he wouldn't support Moore. But the fact that Shelby decided to say yes to a Sunday show two days before the election <laughs> Apparently for the purpose of just going hard at Mr. Moore. Uh, I want to reiterate again, I didn't vote for Roy Moore. I wouldn't vote for Roy Moore. I think the Republican Party can do better. really captures just how bizarre this race is, where kind of the, the leading Republican in the state chooses to try to torpedo uh, the campaign of the Republican nominee for what would be the other seat in Alabama. I tell you what, I there there's a time, there's, we call it a tipping point, uh, 
And I think so many accusations, so many cuts, so many drip, drip, drip. Uh, when it got to the 14-year-old story, uh, story uh, that was enough for me. I said, I can't vote for Roy Moore. He thinks the women who have charged Mr. Moore with sexual misconduct are believable. I have no reason not to believe him, just like uh, the Attorney General Sessions said he had no reason or something not to believe the women. They were credible. Uh, but, you know, I wasn't there. I don't know what happened. But there's a lot of stories there, a lot of smoke, got to be some fire somewhere. And I think what he was trying to do, Michael, is, is effectively stop Moore's campaign here in the final hours. I was really struck by the fact that Shelby seemed to be encouraging Republicans in Alabama not to vote for the Democrat, which seemed like a, a bridge too far for him, but mm-hmm. to write in on their ballots just yeah. any other Republican. And that's effectively a vote for Doug Jones, the hmm. Democrat, Michael, because all that does it just lowers the threshold of votes that the Democrat needs to win here. So basically, if, if 2 or 3% of Alabamians write somebody in, then Jones wouldn't have to hit 50. He could just get 48 or 49 and still win. And the fact that in a close race that Shelby would choose to do this could prove consequential. Coming up next on The Voice of Alabama Politics, a special edition with Judge So also on Sunday, we had Roy Moore himself speaking out for the first time in a while. What did he say? Well, he did his own television appearance. It wasn't quite CNN. Welcome to the voice of Alabama politics, where we tackle the tough issues so you have the hard facts. I'm your host, Bill Britt. And today we are at Republican headquarters outside of Birmingham. With, to put a mildly, very friendly interlocutor. You and I live in the same, basically the same community. We, we know a lot of the same folks, not, not political folks, just home folks. Uh, so I, I've spent a lot of time over the last couple of weeks talking to people in Etowah County that have known you for years and years, and, and uh, they're, they're still supporting you. The questioning was gentle, but Mr. Moore did really face these questions for the first time, and he reiterated that he did not know these women. I did not know them. I had no encounter with them. I never molested anyone. And for them to say that, I don't know why they're saying it, but it's not true. That's a slight difference from what he said in the first days after these charges were made, where he denied impropriety, but he didn't totally rule out the fact that he had dated teenagers saying famously at the time he never dated anybody without their mother's permission. Judge Moore, we appreciate you. Thank you for being on today. Thank you. Thank you, Bill. You've been watching The V, the voice of Alabama politics. Our special guest today has been Judge Roy Moore. He is running for the U.S. Senate. Thank you for watching The V. You watch us because we watch them. Jonathan, you're in Alabama. What's actually happening here? Help us understand what this is really about there now at this point in the race. Sure. So you've got a Democratic campaign and Doug Jones who's bringing in a number of -of out-of-state surrogates to help him campaign, figures like Cory Booker, Hmm. senator from New Jersey. You've got a lot of national liberal money that's flooded into the state, Michael, that's being used for get-up-the-boat effort. And in black churches on Sunday, the pastors were talking about the importance of voting from the pulpit. And I was in a black church in Selma, and in the lobby of the church, there were sample ballots for Doug Jones. And on every car under the windshield 
was a Doug Jones piece of literature. So the black vote is critical to Democrats in Alabama. In fact, if you talk to people here working on the campaign, they can even pinpoint what percent of the statewide electorate has to be African-American for Doug Jones to have a Hmm. chance to win. So they will say that if the African-American percentage of the statewide electorate is above 25 percent, then Jones has a real chance to win the election. And what about on the Republican side? What's going on with Moore in these final days? On the Republican side, it's much different because basically Moore is trying to avoid questions and scrutiny about his conduct with these women. So he's not holding public events. He's being very quiet. He didn't show up in his own home church today. He's basically gone underground, Michael, for the last week of this campaign. He's largely been invisible in Alabama. He's got one rally before Tuesday scheduled, and it's in a very rural part of southeast Alabama. So it's basically more trying to run out the clock, and Jones, with the help of millions of dollars in national money, scrambling to get every vote out possible. Finally, Jonathan, is the sense on the ground that Roy Moore is going to win this election, or is that a true question mark still? It's a question mark. I think it's hard to predict special elections under any circumstances when you've got one candidate who's gone underground for days because he doesn't want to answer questions about sexual misconduct with teenage girls. It's really uncertain about what's going to happen. So I think we're flying blind into this election on Tuesday. (laughs) This is a deep red state. This is the deep south. They rarely support Democrats statewide, but it's really a test of in this state, which is harder for folks to do, to support somebody who's been accused of sexual misconduct with teenagers or to pull the lever for a Democrat. Hmm. Thank you, Jonathan. All right, guys. Thanks, y'all. Bye. Cheers. We'll be right back. When times became uncertain, Wampley pivoted their technology platform and committed to help small businesses and self-employed workers get approved for their PPP loan. In just a few months, Wampley has helped one million businesses across America to secure much-needed funding so they can continue to stay open and serve their communities. Wampley helps small businesses thrive. Visit Wampley.com to learn more. Did you see all the corrections the media's been making? They're saying, sorry, we made a... They've been doing that all year. They never apologized. Maybe that comes with being the president. I don't know. After several recent mistakes by news organizations and individual reporters. They took this fraudster from ABC. They suspended him for a month. They should have fired him for what he wrote. President Trump has escalated his criticism that the media is unfairly targeting him. And then CNN apologized just a little while ago. They apologized. Oh, thank you, CNN. Thank you so much. You should have been apologizing for the last two years. He's been helped in this fight by a longtime conservative provocateur who'd been operating on the margins for a decade. There are certain things that you won't investigate. There are certain topics that you won't touch. That's why we exist. Got because we're willing to go places you won't. And it's, and it's a little bit... It's, 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 it's a little Kendall, you recently spoke to James O'Keefe. This is a guy who, as part of his explicit mission, goes after the mainstream media. How did it come to be that you actually made contact with him? Hello? Hi. Can you hear me? Uh, no, it's like not a good connection. It's sort of like breaking up. Yeah, I go back a number of years with James O'Keefe. He's had this career over about a decade of being sort of the leading 
purveyor of this form of undercover journalism is what he would call it. James O'Keefe drew national attention for his undercover videos of Acorn. And it's a shocking undercover video of Acorn made by filmmaker James O'Keefe, a 25-year-old conservative activist. Workers at Baltimore's Acorn office are secretly videotaped, helping a woman posing as a prostitute cheat on her taxes. Now he's caught an NPR executive on tape describing the Tea Party as racist. Today, James O'Keefe, Project Veritas, well, they came out with a new video that apparently shows a CNN producer admitting the network's massive anti-Trump agenda. That thrust him into the spotlight, made him sort of a, a darling of the conservative movement and launched him on this career where he started his own nonprofit group, raised a bunch of money for it to carry out sort of similar stings of institutions that he sees as either corrupt or as hopelessly biased in favor of the left. And why do you want to talk to O'Keefe? about this right now. The Washington Post says it was targeted by an organization that was attempting to discredit its exclusive reporting into sexual misconduct. So I called James because he's back in the news, as he often is when one of his sting operations goes bad. And this one went very bad. The Washington Post was approached by a woman named Jamie Phillips who made inflammatory charges against Roy Moore, saying the Alabama Senate candidate impregnated her when she was 15 and drove her to have an abortion. This was an effort by James O'Keefe to sort of discredit the Washington Post reporting, but... The Post became suspicious about the woman's claims and recorded a conversation with her. The Post turned the tables on him using some of his same techniques to expose him before he could do the same to them. So has that pretty much been O'Keefe's story and his MO, taking on, quote-unquote, fake news and liberal institutions but through very questionable tactics. It seems sort of contradictory. How does he talk about his tactics and his aims? I think his approach is largely that the ends justify the means. But it is something that he's done a lot of thinking about and is happy to elaborate on, as he has with me and others over the years, this question of the the ethics, and I'm sort of using air quotes around that, but the ethics of misrepresentation and when it is okay to misrepresent yourself in order to get a story. We in traditional journalism, we don't do that. There's right. a bright line. We never misrepresent ourselves. He believes that those are sort of stodgy tenants that prevent journalists from getting at the truth. And he is able to point to some of these examples of really groundbreaking journalism that was done undercover. That said, the degree to which he has sort of misrepresented himself and also the way he's gotten a lot of criticism for the selective editing of his videos, those are things that I think most assessments of journalism would deem to be out of bounds. It's just a, a, a vision to, to bring information straight to the people, bypassing and circumventing the mainstream media. With the Jamie Phillips Washington Post thing and the, the Roy Moore story, the effort was yeah. to, to, to get these reporters to reveal something about their goals or their motives or tactics yeah. that would compromise their reporting, right? It's, 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 to, it's to expose... It's to expose the truth about them. But, but the, truth that, the truth that was exposed is that they were doing their job in a very diligent fashion, right? So do they want, do they want a Nobel Prize for that? No. 
I think that's what, in, in talking to sources, that's part of what appeals to Donald Trump about James O'Keefe. He sees James O'Keefe as a self-made man who was willing to take these big risks. There's a little bit of parallel there between the way Donald Trump sees himself and sort of that characterization of O'Keefe. So these two men, James O'Keefe and Donald Trump, have a relationship. Yeah, that's right. We found that there was a, an initial meeting between the two back in 2013. Donald Trump might be considering another run for the White House. If not, it's not clear why he's suddenly spending so much time at Republican Party events. He's also So it was in that context that he summoned O'Keefe to Trump Tower and praised O'Keefe's work, said he was a good-looking guy, that's a quote <laughs> that Trump uses for a lot of people, and offered to stay in touch. And in May of 2015, Donald Trump wrote a check to James O'Keefe's group, Project Veritas, from the Trump Foundation for $10,000. Hmm. And then... I am officially running for President of the United States. After Donald Trump announces his campaign for president, he again brings James O'Keefe into hmm. Trump Tower. James O'Keefe previews for Donald Trump some raw video footage that he had just taken from Hillary Clinton's campaign announcement rally on Roosevelt Island in New York, not far from Trump Tower. Hey, Aaron, wait, before you take another person, so she's Canadian. And this video purported to show members of Hillary Clinton's campaign accepting a payment for campaign swag, like buttons, from a Canadian woman. <laughs> so it'll be a total of 75 and that would be a violation of election laws that bar campaign contributions from foreigners. So O'Keefe just has this raw video. He goes into Trump Tower. He shows it to Trump. Trump apparently likes it, hmm. commits to giving more money to James O'Keefe's nonprofit. And in fact, we don't have to look too much further into the future to see Donald Trump highlighting both on social media and even in a debate, subsequent James O'Keefe videos that are attempts to embarrass Hillary Clinton. Donald Trump earlier today talking about the damning Project Veritas undercover tapes that allegedly show Democratic operatives scheming to cause violence at Trump rallies. It just came out, and I give a lot of credit to the people that brought this out, believe me. Now that Trump is president, has his support emboldened Project Veritas and James O'Keefe. Yeah, James O'Keefe certainly feels validated by Donald Trump and Donald Trump's focus on assailing the institutions of the left and calling out mm -hmm. fake news. O'Keefe pointed to a particular briefing. Good afternoon. Nice crowd. That the White House press secretary, Sarah Huckabee Sanders, gave in June. Uh, there's a video circulating now, whether it's accurate or not. I don't know. But I would encourage everybody in this room and, frankly, everybody across the country to take a look at it. Where she urged viewers, she urged the press, she urged all Americans hmm. to go watch a secretly recorded Project Veritas video of a CNN employee appearing to question the network's coverage of the investigation into Trump and Russia. She said, I think if it is accurate, I think it's a disgrace to all of media to all of journalism. And what O'Keefe told me was that that briefing, in many ways, it's serving Veritas's mission. It's serving Veritas's vision. And he said, When she, when Sarah Huckabee Sanders says, everyone go, go watch those videos, she's telling people to go, you know, trust their instincts, watch the information. Mm -hmm. It's the opposite of what, of what the mainstream media says. Mainstream media says, don't trust your instincts. 
Don't look at those videos. Listen to us talk about James O'Keefe. If the media can't be trusted to report the news, then that's a dangerous place for America. In a sense, what we're talking about is is a feedback loop. O'Keefe and Trump are this kind of powerful match in this moment. You've got the president who loves to go after the news media and liberals, who doesn't spend much of his time worrying about supporting his claims with evidence or reporting. And then you've got O'Keefe, who shares that point of view with the president and whose videos seem to confirm some of the president's claims in a satisfying way for their mutual constituencies. Is that is that how this works? And how Absolutely. You see That's how it works when it goes off to plan. And so that could be a very powerful confluence and synergy there. What O'Keefe does and brings to the table that the president doesn't and that really no one else on the right does is something unique about it. And that is that he is trying to provide fodder, actual evidence right. to do what he sees as good accountability journalism on the mainstream media. It's not merely opining and saying this report is biased. And that's been the approach that the right has long taken. There are groups that are received much more funding than James O'Keefe's group, including the Media Research Center, which merely highlight examples of stuff that's already out there and say that this proves liberal bias. Mm. James O'Keefe is taking it a step further and he's doing it in a much more brazen way that does raise these right. questions about his tactics. But that's also the reason why he has had a significant impact in the cases where he has landed blows. And it's also the reason why when things go south for him in his operations, as it did this past week with The Washington Post, I think it backfires even more spectacularly because now he has the endorsement of the White House. Now he is sort of seen as a soldier in this war against fake news. And so when it blows up, it's sort of his critics pounce even more gleefully than they might have done so before. The media cannot abide us. The media, media, it is really about power and a media who cannot abide us or allow us to be defined as journalists because we are battling the narrative, the status quo. But what does it mean to backfire or blow up? I guess I'm surprised to hear you use those words because in a country this divided, does anything ever really backfire if your intentions and your audience agree with you? I mean, that may be the lesson. Even when he fails, he sort of fails up. It's unclear whether his botch stings will even hurt him in this day and age. James O'Keefe has had these cycles where he's really mattered a lot and then he's seen as irrelevant and then he matters again. I think he could matter even more now when he is able to pull off these things successfully because he's got this ally in the Oval Office. Ken, thank you. Appreciate it. Yeah, it was a pleasure. On Saturday evening, President Trump called for a Washington Post reporter to be fired over a misleading tweet about the size of a crowd at a Trump rally in Florida. The reporter had posted a picture of an arena with many empty seats. On Saturday night, the president posted his own photos showing a crowded arena— Demand apology and retraction from fake news WAPO, he wrote. The reporter, David Weigel, later apologized and deleted the tweet. Very fair to call me out, he wrote on Twitter. That followed another episode on Friday, 
when CNN corrected an erroneous report that Donald Trump Jr. had received advance notice from WikiLeaks about a trove of hacked documents released during last year's presidential campaign. In fact, the email to Trump was sent the day after the documents, stolen from the DNC, were made public, undercutting the thrust of CNN's report. In a tweet, the president wrote that, quote, fake news CNN made a vicious and purposeful mistake. Here's what else you need to know today. This is, a, is the new normal, and this could be something that happens every year or every few years. It happens to some degree. It's just more intense, more widespread, and we're about ready to have uh, firefighting uh, at Christmas. As wildfires continued to rage through Southern California over the weekend, killing one person and destroying more than 800 buildings, Governor Jerry Brown told residents this should be what they expect in the decades ahead. It is the way the world is with the kind of uh, carbon pollution that we're not only living with, but we're generating still. It's still increasing. We have to make that turn. It's going to take heroic efforts. Uh, there are many places in this country that don't get it yet. There are several countries in the world that don't quite get it. So we're going to have to be good stewards of our own uh, neighborhoods and state, but also missionaries uh, to spread the word that we do need to make a change. On Sunday, California officials our, issued new evacuation orders, this time for several neighborhoods in Santa Barbara County. There are now more than 4,000 firefighters trying to put out the blazes. That's it for The Daily. I'm Michael Barbaro. See you tomorrow. You're still running your business on QuickBooks? More like quicksand. The bigger your company grows, the faster you sync with outdated software. NetSuite by Oracle is the scalable solution to run all key back office operations, no matter how big your company grows. 93% of surveyed organizations increase visibility and control since making the switch from QuickBooks to NetSuite. Right now, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind financing program. Head to netsuite.com daily. That's special financing at netsuite.com daily. netsuite.com daily.